brimstone? <laughs> oh, no. We better put this in the closet then. We don't need that. All right. So why am I sweaty? Is, am I the only one that's hot in here? Goodness sakes. Anyway, I'm just going to start taking, I'll have to start taking layers off, I guess. That's because I'm on fire. Of course I'm hot. All right. So as we go to prayer time, again, we want you to be cognizant of the prayer needs and concerns of our congregation. There are many. They're never ending, which means that we're always going to be people that need to pray. God, I think, specifically uh, created that avenue of conversation for that purpose. He wants us to be constantly in touch with him. And you know what's sad is, is if everything in your life is going well, you pray less. Typically, people pray less when everything's going well. Isn't that crazy? But I guarantee that when your back's against the wall and your life seems to be falling apart, you're going to spend a lot more time doing it, right? We want to be in prayer for Dorothy Wells' daughter, Becky. Uh, Debbie Johnson uh, with her cancer treatments. We want to be in prayer for Cheryl Gibson, uh, her friend Selena, uh, going through her kidney concerns, uh, failing um, complications. Uh, this is a friend and coworker of hers. Ethel's asked we'd be in prayer for uh, great-grandson Xander, still not eating, having an indigestion or digestive issues. Uh, we want to be in prayer for him. How old is he now? Four months. So it's been four months of this. Yeah. So be in prayer for Xander. Joanne Wicklin's asked would be in prayer for all the Jewish people that are hurting in the Pittsburgh area and the shootings. And um, Sarah Genicus has asked would be in prayer for Michael and his wife, Cody Rose, their daughter born early at one pound and two ounces. So we want to be in prayer for their little blessing. A lot going on, but we need to be a people that pray. You know, the word of the day is vulnerability. When it comes to praying, particularly when you come to praying in public and you're praying in a leadership role, vulnerability is very important because what happens is, is one, that we don't have confidence in our prayers, and so we don't want to pray out loud where people can hear us because we're afraid they might criticize what we say or think. Right, And so we learn at first how to pray intimately by ourselves, and then it's little pithy phrases. Maybe it's the same thing you always prayed, you know, like, now I lay me down to sleep, pray, Lord, my soda tape, you know, uh, little stuff like that. But then when you get to the place where you need to start praying out loud, this is where you're maturing in your prayer life, and now you're in a place where you first you want to Write it down so you don't mess it up, right? And you pray the same words, but then something happens and you can pray the same thing for years and years and never grow beyond that. So it it takes vulnerability to be able to put that aside and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust. I'm going to shut out everything around me and just trust that you're going to give me the words to pray today. And I pray that it will be genuine. I pray that it will be heartfelt. And I pray that it will be a legitimate prayer. So, so that's the name of the game. And so I pray that you will join with me as we pray, but start getting yourself in the habit of praying with vulnerability, being completely open and honest with God about what your needs and concerns really are. Uh, I think you'll find that he'll, he'll bless a little bit differently as a result. So let's pray, okay? Gracious Father, I do pray that you'll shut out all the distractions at this point that you may just lead us in being open, honest, and real with you. 
Lord, we repent that we don't always love you with our whole heart. Sometimes we don't even act like we love you at all. Sometimes, Lord, it's an inconvenience upon us to to read our Bibles or to go to church or to worship you in a way that you deserve. And, Lord, sometimes it's scary because we're afraid people are going to look at us differently. But, Father, we repent of that and pray that you will change us, that this will not be our path forever. Pray that you'll continue to help us to seek maturity in our prayer life, in our spiritual walk with you, in our, in our sharing of faith, in all aspects of our life. I pray that you will continue to shape us differently in how we pray for other people, those who we care about, even those who we don't know. In every situation, Lord, teach us how to pray for these, these people that are suffering and, and are going through physical ailments that are beyond their control and beyond their capacity to withstand. Help us to be a people that pray for those who have lost jobs and those who are seeking. Help us to know how to pray for those who have just found jobs because of your grace. And let us be a people, Lord, that pray for one another as if we actually love them more than ourselves. Lord, I pray that you will meet us where we are today. In our level of maturity, meet us where we are, but don't leave us where you find us. But continue to to prune us, continue to encourage us and breathe life into us so that we'll become more vibrant. And as a result, our prayer lives will become more vibrant. I pray that you will help us to grab hold of the kingdom of heaven and shake it with our prayers. And I pray that you'll always keep us humble, recognizing how little we are in comparison to how great you are. May you breathe life into us during this time of worship. May you breathe life into the words on these pages, because, Lord, we need life breathed into each of us. This dying world, this troubled world is just getting uglier and uglier. And we have no idea, Lord, what it's going to take to fix this place. But we pray that just one person at a time that you will breathe life and power into us and a compassionate heart. Maybe perhaps this little church could love people in such a way that the temperature of our culture increases ever so slightly. Please, Lord, meet us where we are and bless our time of study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 3. I will tell you that I've been working the last couple weeks on a sermon from 2 Corinthians 10. Even as early as this morning, I was thinking of a way of incorporating 2 Corinthians 10 into this Ephesians 3 passage. And finally, God's like, would you please get the hint? I don't want you talking about strongholds today. And so we'll put that off to the side for a later day. But that's what I've done all of my research on this week. And so we're going just completely vulnerable into Ephesians 3 and praying that somehow God will make something beautiful out of this montage of words and theological concepts. And so beginning with verse 2, Paul, the preacher, is writing these words to the Ephesians because there's a need and a concern that has been developing. We'll figure out what that is in just a moment. But he begins by saying, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is the first concept. 
What Paul is indicating is is that God has given something to him as the pastoral leader to this church in Ephesus. He's given him a responsibility that goes along with this grace. And he's in a position of complete and total humility as he tries to recognize, what do I do with this? This is such a prized possession. How do I, how do I administer it? How do I interact with it? How do I spread it? And, and how do I know who to give it to and who to hold it back from and, and, and how much to give to other people? You see, I, I got hung up on this word administration and I went back to the Greek and I started looking at it and, and I think the best translation of it is stewardship. When we think of stewardship, we think of money. We think of, okay, God has given me this chunk of money. I'm going to set apart this percent for his kingdom. I'm going to set apart this portion to pay my bills and this portion to put into savings. And so we look at this from a a monetary uh, understanding or a monetary filter. And that's how we're supposed to look at this. When it comes to the stewardship of grace... First, God has given me this lump sum of grace, and he says to me, I want you to distribute it as my spirit leads you. What a huge responsibility. I I don't know if you look at it in in that light. Because you see, I'm not the only preacher in this world. Every one of you uh, are incorporated as well. Every one of you have the same capacity to share and to give this grace to those who are in need. He, he gives you a lump sum also, and he says, now don't keep it to yourself. But I want you to go, and I want you to feed it to those who need it. And you're going to know who needs it when you see them. And when you see them, you, you apportion a part of that to them. And that grace will grow within them. It will bring them to a place of, uh, of change and of transformation and empowerment. And, and so Paul is saying that in regards to his work as a preacher, as a pastor, that his huge responsibility is that of administrating grace. He says in verse 3, that is the mystery that has been made known to me by revelation. That is the context of his grace. You see, grace in this context is the word of God. This this mystery of who God is and his son Jesus and the redemptive work that he did on the cross and why he did this, how he raised from the dead, how he was able to live a sinless life, and how through his blood we can have forgiveness of sins. This is all a mystery to him, but this has been revealed to him by God's grace. I don't know if you look at it as such, but the fact that you understand that Jesus was the son of God and he died on the cross for your sins and that his blood was shed so that you could have complete and total forgiveness of everything you've ever done, everything you've thought about doing and everything you will do. It's already been covered by the blood of Jesus. The fact that you can understand that and contemplate it means that God has revealed that mystery to you. And now by that grace, you have this gift to share with other people. What a huge responsibility upon all of us then. Now I want to look at this this weird word, mystery. It comes from the Greek word musterion, which means that which is unknown to humans, but made visible by God. So 
the first thing that stood out to me is this. I had been taught this years ago, that there's a couple mysteries in the church that we embrace on a regular basis, one of which is water baptism. It's called a sacrament in a lot of the Protestant churches. We don't necessarily use that word, but that's what it is. It's a sacrament. It's something we do to honor God, something he's asked us to do to remember what he's done for us and to be in connection with him. But here's the cool thing about baptism is that when we're baptized in water, something happens to us. This is not just a, a, an incident where we get down in the water, where we're, we're, we're symbolically uh, immersed in Christ and pulled up in his resurrection. It's more than that. You see, you get out of what you believe in this world and what you put into something. And, and really, baptism is about receiving God's grace and experiencing that grace. And he'll do this on a regular basis, not just in baptism, but in many aspects of your life. But when you believe that there's going to be a blessing that comes to me by doing this or that, you will receive a blessing from doing this or that. And so I believe that when someone's baptized, if they believe that something's going to happen, that something will happen in them. They'll feel something stir in them. They'll feel something change in them, something exciting. I've seen people get out of the water and start just praising Jesus. You know, it's crazy. I'm... I'm not like that, but it's just cool what people will do. Some people will get up and they'll start repenting. They'll start repenting sins that they hadn't thought about repenting in years. Some people will just stand there and cry. Some people would say, oh, wow, that was cool. But here's the other thing. Communion is also a sacrament and an act of grace. And what that means is, is that when we take the sacrament, some way, shape, or how... The grace of God comes into our body through that juice and through that bread. Something happens in us if we expect it to. We call those mysteries. We don't know how it happens. We don't know why it happens. We don't know why people react differently. It's a mystery to us. But what it says in verse 3 is that mystery is being made known to us through revelation. Revelation is a Greek word, apocalypto, which means an unveiling. And, and the, the physical picture is, is that God is slowly pulling back the curtains like on a stage. And as he pulls the curtains back, we slowly see a little glimpse of what's behind the curtain. That's God's revelation. He knows everything behind the stage, but he's only given us a glimpse. That's a mystery. What's behind the curtain? And so we pray accordingly, Lord, reveal to us a little bit more. And slowly he answers that prayer. So Paul says, now in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mysterion of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. What Paul's saying here is, to all of you Jews out there, this revelation has been has not been known to you. It's not been revealed to you. But it is now being revealed to you because this Christ, this Son of God, has come into the world. The Savior of our lives has come into the world. He has died on the cross, raised from the dead. He has brought us the gift of salvation through himself. You all haven't known this before, but now you do. So come and drink of the water. Come and taste. Because God is good. 
He goes on in verse 6, this mystery, again, this mysterion that is made, that is, is through the gospel, the, in, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. You see, there's a problem in Ephesus. The, the Jews of old, the traditionalists, aren't buying this. God is for us and for us alone. And if people want to be part of the kingdom of God, they have to be like us. They need to go through circumcision and be like us. But Paul is saying, no, you don't understand. I've been given this gift of grace, this revelation of grace, and I've been asked to give it to the Gentiles. It's a mystery that I don't even understand, but I'm going to be faithful to this. I'm going to give it to whoever I can, whoever is willing to receive this. This mystery is through the gospel. And our Gentile brothers and sisters now are part of this. You you see, basically what he's saying is, is that those of us who have received this gift of grace are called to be good stewards of it, to share this grace with anyone and everyone who's ready and willing to receive it. It's like the the sower. We take our bag of seeds, which is the word of God, the gospel, and we spread those seeds everywhere. We spread them liberally. Some of them will grow up among the thorns, some on rocky soils where they spring up quickly and die. Some will fall upon fertile soil, and they will grow, and they will produce fruit for years and decades to come. We aren't judges of that. We don't know. We just are called to be faithful in spreading the seed, to spread the gospel, and let the seeds fall where they do. We were watching the Dove Awards last Sunday night. Something unique happened, something I thought was pretty cool. There's a band called Social Club Misfits, who I bet none of you have ever heard of, have you? They're a Christian rap group. These two guys, they get up and they throw down, man. It's awesome stuff. Really good stuff. It's exciting, right? Uh, Taren, Torin Wells sang with them in one of their songs. It's really good stuff. If I named some of the songs, you would remember them probably. But the one guy got up there and he received his award, his Dove Award. This is for Christian music, by the way. And he said, two years ago, I was in prison. Today, I'm on the stage receiving a Dove Award. That's God's grace right there. And I thought, you know, somebody had to spread seed into his life to get him to the place where he can do what God's called him to do and to be what God called him to be. Somebody had to spread that seed. Somebody had to come into my life and spread seed when I was this drunken fool uh, in my early 20s that was just content on finding, you know, a momentary lapse of uh, joy uh, from time to time. But somebody invested that seed in me and that grace took in me. And uh, I'm not the same as I was at the age of 26. Somebody had to be faithful in spreading the seed of grace in your life. Hmm. He says in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul wants to make it very clear up front. I didn't earn this ability. 
I don't deserve this ability. I didn't go to school and learn how to obtain this ability. This is all given to me by God's grace. I don't understand it. It's a mystery. Why did God pick me to be an evangelist, a preacher, a pastor? Why did God pick me? I will never know in this world. I will never know, but I will be faithful to it. Because he imparted this to me. He transformed me into something I could never have become by my own power. And then he gave me this gift of grace to be a preacher, a spreader of the seed, a spreader of the gospel. And it's all through this working power that's in me. He says in verse 8, although I am least, I am the less of all of God's people. I'm scum. I am rubbish. I am nothing. I am the lowest person in this place. Even though that's true, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles this unsearchable richness of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration or the stewardship of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things, but now is slowly revealing to us. There's no sense. There's no sense at all as to why I'm here sitting here on fire and and you're not. There is no logical sense to it. God didn't... There's nothing different about me that there is you. There's pain and brokenness in my past, just like many of you. But for whatever reason, God picked me and he anointed me and he gave me this grace and this power to do this job, to preach to the Gentiles, which are each of you, about this unsearchable richness of Christ, to show you the mysteries of the kingdom. Why? I have no idea. But but this is what is amazing. Because I have an inability of myself, this power that is associated with the Holy Spirit does the work through me so that if any of your eyes are open to who Jesus is, it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with this gift of grace. And now this grace is being imparted into you as you hear the gospel read, as you hear it spoken, as you receive this This message of hope, it just doesn't make sense, does it? How is this humanly possible? Many people, secular people, have seen this impartation of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, passed on to other people and have said, oh, I want that. How could I get it? And we're like, you don't have any clue as to what this is. You have no idea. You have no idea what this is all about. But yet they want it all the same. In verse 10, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Did you catch that part, that little phrase there? His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are the solution to this world's ailments. You have all that you need in your possession to change the outlook of a wounded people. You have everything you need to turn a person's frown upside down. I thought I'd get a better reaction, but I guess not. 
You have everything you need to impart hope into a person who's living day to day in complete and total disrepair. You have exactly what you need to change a person's entire makeup, entire culture, entire home life. You have what you need. All you got to do is speak it into them and trust that the Holy Spirit is working through you for their benefit. You can do that. You don't need me to do it. That is what is so crazy about all of this. Anybody can do it. Now let's skip down a little bit. In verse 14, I read this passage before, but I didn't catch it. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, if you did not read the previous 13 verses, you're going to miss this. Why in the world does he feel compelled to kneel before the Father? It has to be because he understands how nothing he is and how least he is and how, how worthless he is. He has to understand this and therefore he kneels before the Father because he knows I don't have any right to stand in his presence. I have no right to approach him face to face like a man does another man. I am absolutely worthless. And this responsibility of, of transforming people's lives through this grace, I don't understand it. I don't deserve it. I, it just overwhelms me. And he comes to the Father and he falls upon his knees. Now I understand because I've been there. From whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then he takes on a disposition of prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. I pray this and I expect this so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith and mine. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the saints, all of the saints to grasp How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ? And I will tell you that from my assessment, which is really a no-brainer, nobody in this room fully understands the width, the depth, the height, nothing about the love of Christ. We haven't even gotten close to scratching the surface as to how much he loves you as a person with your sin, with your brokenness, with your addiction, with your mental health problems, with your physical ailments, with your lack of faith. You still have no idea how badly he loves you and how badly he wants to embrace you in his loving arms and just whisper into your ear, I died on the cross for you. That's how much I love you. That's what he wants to get into our hearts. And then when you get to verse 20, now this verse makes sense. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Do you realize that you have the capacity to do immeasurably more than Jesus himself ever did on earth? immeasurably more than I could ever accomplish in my ministry. You can do even greater things than that. Do immeasurably more if you would just spread the seed of the gospel. Tell the people who you know need to hear this and say it with faith and conviction. 
look, I know you're troubled. I know you don't think that it's going to get any better, but I have this seed that I want to give to you. And I have faith that this seed could transform your life and save your soul and your family's soul. Would you please take this? And I'm telling you, this world will be radically changed for the kingdom because of your faithfulness with that same seed that has already been planted inside of you. This is just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. You know, Herb would tell me about the time, you know, he baptized on a winter day over 50 people in the, in the river. He had to break the ice to get them down into the river, baptize over 50 people. And I hear that, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. How did you get that many people ready to receive Christ, ready to be baptized into this new faith? How? And he would say, well, certainly by grace, because I didn't do it. And you can do the same. I just don't understand it. I know you don't understand it. But if the Bible says it, I believe it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll just open our eyes a little wider than they were before we came today. And I pray that you'll give us a vision, a dream, a glimpse into how awesome it would be to serve you in this capacity. How awesome it would be to see people in our family who don't know you, who are just in despair, to see them have their hearts changed and filled with joy. Father, I pray that you will move in each of us and move through us for the sake of this dying world. And I pray, Lord, that you will receive all the glory, honor, and praise because you're the only one in this universe that deserves it. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing, Victory in Jesus, very fitting. If you'd like to come and pray with me, I would love to pray with you. If you've never been baptized before, we could hook you up. So come and let me know. Thank you.